Good morning. If you have a Bible and you would like to follow along with me, you can do so by turning to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 20 this morning. And you can just feel free to follow along with me in your Bible, on your phone, or in the bulletin that's been provided for you on the website. We want to welcome you to Redeemer this morning. It's great to have you with us. Again, my name is Sean Slade. I'm the pastor here, and we're so glad to have you because we know that there are a million different things that you could be doing there in the comfort of your own home. You could be uh, continuing to recover from having watched the Tree of Life and La La Land on back-to-back evenings, and so now you're watching old Bugs Bunny cartoons and Phineas and Ferb cartoons, trying to get yourself centered and back together once again. Or uh, maybe you're at home making presents or bribes in order to get into your hairdresser uh, quickly. Or maybe uh, it's been a rough week and you've been stuck in your house and so you're eating another box of Little Debbie fudge rounds and raisin cream cakes. Uh, But you're not doing those things right now. You're here, you've gathered with us. We're really glad uh, to have you. And there really is nothing better that you could be doing with your time this morning than worshiping the risen Jesus and considering his claims upon our life. And so I do wanna thank you uh, for joining us and I do wanna welcome you to Redeemer. So what is Redeemer? Well, uh, Redeemer continues to be a church and we, what that means is that we're a people who are trying to learn how to love God and we're trying to learn how to love our neighbor. And fundamentally, what we believe is that Jesus is God, he's the Messiah, and he's entered into the world to die for our sins and to reveal the love of the Father. And so every week we gather together in his name to worship him and to learn to rest in the love that God has for us in Christ. And as we rest in that love, we then become a people who try to figure out uh, how to gather together in community, whether it's on a Zoom call or whether it's on a face chat or whether uh, it's just stopping by and sitting on somebody's porch and talking to them through the window. Uh, We love to gather together in order to remind each other of the great love that God has for us in Christ. And so as we rest in his love and as we remind each other of his love, We then become a people who are looking for ways to reflect that love to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors uh, who are here in Urban and University in Knoxville, and hopefully in some way it would spill out into the entire world, maybe through the matrix, uh, maybe through the internet, I have no idea, but hopefully somehow God by his spirit would continue to reveal his love to his entire world. That's who we are. We're a people who are uh, trying to learn how to love God. We're trying to learn how to love our neighbor as we rest, as we remind, and as we reflect. And so to help us do that, uh, what we're doing during this Eastertide season is we are looking at the post-resurrection accounts throughout the Gospels. And so with that in mind, this morning, I want us to think about God's resurrection authority. All right, God's resurrection authority. So with that in mind, let's look together. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this, your word, that you are a God who isn't hidden nor silent, but you delight to speak. 
and you're one who speaks with authority. And Father, we pray that now, uh, during this time as we pause from the chaos and from the loudness and the busyness of our lives, that you would speak, and that you would speak in lovely, beautiful ways, that we would see beautiful things of you, that we might with great joy embrace you and embrace your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know how far most of you have gotten on Netflix, but I'm towards the end. And uh, at the end of Netflix, there's a show uh, that's becoming fairly popular. It's called The All-American. And, um, and it's this show about this top-notch high school football player who's been recruited to play for Beverly Hills High School. And so he shows up on the first day of practice. And as the team begins their drills, uh, this all-star player is doing his own thing. He's running his own routes, he's running his own plays, and he's showing off and showing off how good he is. And so the coach kind of calls a timeout in the practice. He gathers everybody up on a huddle uh, next to the sideline, and he says, hey guys, look, we're gonna change things up. Spencer, you go play safety. Have you ever played safety? And Spencer says, no, why? And the coach says, well, give it a try. And Spencer says, man, I don't play defense. And the coach says, you play what I tell you. Uh, and so then Spencer says, so you're just going to change my position after everything we talked about? Man, I didn't come here for this. I came here to score touchdowns. And the coach says, you came here to play football. And you came here to play football as a team. Am I right or am I right? And so you have two choices, son. And he points at the sideline and he says, you can either be on this side of the line or that side of the line. You choose what it's going to be. And I love this little scene in the first episode because what it's doing is it's portraying that battle for authority, right? The star player is saying, look, I have come here to score touchdowns. I have come here to be the star. I have come here to have articles written about me. I've come here to get a scholarship. And the coach is saying, no, you came here to play football, you came here to be a part of this team, and to play football means that you play for me. And that's the way it is with Jesus. Jesus tells us how to play. Jesus tells us that we have come to him to be with him. We've all, many of us, if we're a Christian, we've come to Jesus and we've come to him for our own reasons. Some of us have come to Jesus because of our intellectual questions. Some of us have come to Jesus for the community that he offers us. Some of us have come to Jesus for the aesthetics. Some of us have come to Jesus for ethics. Some of us have come to Jesus for power and for control. Some of us have come to Jesus to feel better about ourselves. Some of us have come to Jesus because our parents brought us to him. Some of us have come to Jesus out of guilt and shame. And all of these are legitimate reasons to come and the glory and the kindness of Jesus is that he receives all who come to him. But in this text, what we see Jesus saying is, I know all the reasons you've come to me, but here's the deal. If you are going to be with me, then you must follow me. Because I have all authority in heaven and on earth, and therefore my ways must become your ways. But he's also saying, 
if you have not come to me, you must. And if my ways are not your ways, they must become your ways. Because again, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. And so here's the claim that the resurrected Jesus makes, and it is this. Jesus has all authority. Say that with me. Jesus has all authority. Look at the text with me. You see this claim in verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. It's amazing. Jesus receives their worship. Jesus lets people sing to him. He lets people praise him. He lets people honor him. He lets people pray to them. And he not only accepts it, he demands it. And he demands that he would be at the center of people's lives. I want you to notice again in verse 18, and Jesus came to him and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Did you hear what he said? All authority. And an authority that is not just in heaven, but on earth. Jesus' authority is not merely spiritual. His authority is not merely religious. His authority is earthly. It is worldly. He rules over heaven and earth. He rules over everything. Notice what he says in verse 19, to make disciples of all nations. All nations, not some of the nations, all of the nations. All people groups. And this means that Jesus reigns over everything. It's not the invisible hand of the market that is ruling over everything. It is Jesus who rules and reigns over all things. Jesus claims authority over America. Jesus claims authority over Scotland. He claims authority over North Korea and South Korea and China and Russia and Belgium and Bundabugio and Zaire and Zimbabwe. All nations, all peoples, all places, all things. He has authority over Notice verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And what he's saying here is that all of my words have authority. Everything that I have ever taught you, everything that I have ever shown you, everything that I have ever asked of you, observe it. Not just write about it. Not just talk about it. Not just think about it. Not even just believe it. But he says, observe it, keep it, do it. And then notice what he says at the end in verse 20. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And what he's saying is that my authority stretches throughout time. All things, all places, always. This is Jesus's comprehensive, absolute claim of authority. And this is the claim of Christianity, that Jesus has all authority. Say it with me again. Jesus has all authority. And this is amazing because what he is saying is, I have authority over the realm of politics. I have authority over the realm of your sexuality. I have authority over the realm of your humanity. I have authority over heaven and over hell. I have authority over the realm of ethics. And I have authority not just over Israel and not just over Rome, 
but over all the nations. I have authority not just over Christianity and not just over the church, but every country, every man, every woman, every child, every virus, every bacteria, every snow leopard. I have authority over the sun and the moon and the stars. I have authority even over galaxy UDFJ-3954628. The furthest galaxy that we've ever detected, 13.2 billion light years away from Earth. Jesus says, I have authority over that. Authority over morality and time and salvation, even life and death itself. And what this means is that the resurrected Jesus claims authority over all things. And with his authority, what he is doing is he is seeking to bend the entire creation back to himself. That's what Paul had in mind, right? In Colossians chapter one, verse 20, when he says that Jesus is reconciling all things to himself. It's what John had in mind in Revelation when he said, behold, I am making, making all things new. I am bending everything in the created order back to myself. And here's the point. Jesus has all authority. Say it with me. Jesus has all authority. Now imagine with me for a moment if I were to stand up here and I were to make those claims. If I were to say, hey guys, hey y'all, hey Redeemer, hey world, I just want y'all to know that I have all authority in heaven and on earth and I'd like for you to observe, to keep everything that I am telling you to do. Y'all would immediately begin to think that I'm crazy You'd think the corona, both the virus and the beer, had gotten to me. And then you would turn off the YouTube and you'd go watch a Tim Keller sermon. Uh, but but uh, this is what Jesus is actually claiming. And this is what makes Christianity unique. Because in our age, people love to say that all religions are basically the same. Because all the religions, they basically have these overlapping ethics and overlapping rituals and overlapping morals and overlapping confessions. And therefore, whatever works for you, that's great. Whatever centers you, that's great. Whatever makes you feel good, that's great. Whatever's true for you, that's great. But Jesus doesn't think that's great. Jesus claims to have all authority. And he is saying that by the resurrection, I prove that I rule over you and I rule over everything and therefore you must follow me. And again, this is what makes Christianity unique. And what this means is that Jesus is everything or he is nothing. You can't just look at Jesus and listen to Jesus and sort of shrug and go, oh, that's pretty good. You can't just think, oh, that's kind of sweet. That, that could be helpful if I sort of thought about that for a little while. You can't think, oh, well, maybe that'll work. Maybe it won't. We'll see. As many have said before, we must either crown him or we must crucify him. In the Romans of his day, they understood this. In the Jews of his day, they understood this, and this is why uh, they crucified him. This is why they killed him, because they understood that Jesus was making a universal claim on all things. He was not just claiming to be a king, he was claiming to be the king. And he wasn't just claiming to be the king for right now, he was, being, he was claiming to be the king forever. And in doing so, he was claiming to be God. And they could not have that. 
And so they nailed him to the cross. And that's why they placed the crown of thorns on his head. It's why they put the purple robe on his back. It's why they put the reed in his hand. It's why they placed a sign on top of the cross in multiple languages saying king of the Jews. It was a way for humanity to mock him. It was a way for humanity to dismiss his claims of authority upon us. So that anyone, when they would walk by the cross and they would see him dying there, they would say, how could he be a king? How could he have any authority? His authority only leads to death. And so they turned his death into a joke. But the joke was on them. Because at the resurrection, Jesus is proving that he not only had authority over them, but he had authority over death itself. That his authority wasn't merely political. It wasn't merely spiritual. It wasn't merely cultural. It wasn't merely religious. It was all authority. And his authority extended through sin and through death into true life. Tim Keller said it this way. He said, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. If Jesus rose from the dead, it changes everything. If Jesus rose from the dead, he has all authority. Jesus has all authority. Say that with me again. Jesus has all authority. And this means that the call to discipleship in this passage, which is actually the imperative of this text, or the command of this text, is the call to embrace his authority and to enter into his kingdom. A kingdom that is not limited to the spiritual, a kingdom is, that is not limited to the ethical, a kingdom that is not limited to the religious realms, but the comprehensive, all-inclusive kingdom of God. Remember the point of the resurrection. The point of the resurrection is the undoing of the curse. It's the undoing of sin and death in this world. And therefore, the resurrected Jesus rules in such a way that he continues to undo the powers of sin and death in this world in order to redeem the entire creation from the curse of the fall. And so this is why Jesus begins to bring up baptism. Because baptism isn't merely a cute little religious service. Uh, baptism is actually a kingdom identity statement. It's a kingdom identity statement. In a sense, it's a pledge of allegiance, both God's pledge of allegiance to you and in turn, your pledge of allegiance to him. And so when we baptize our children, God is saying, this child belongs to him and I belong to him or I belong to her, right? This child is now set apart by God to be taught his ways, to rest in his love and to walk in his ways all of their days. Right, baptism is this claim of ownership by God 
upon us, that he has authority over us. And if you were baptized as an adult, what was happening there is that you were receiving Christ's claim of authority over your life. That you're not your own. But you belong body and soul and life and in death to him. Frederick Dale Bruner in his commentary on the book of Matthew says, baptized believers come under new management. We come under new management. And this is why we follow his teaching, right? This is why we look to his word because his word is that which leads us. His word is that which shapes us. And as his disciples, what this means is that we must begin to see the world through his eyes. We must begin to love the world with his heart. And we must embrace the world with his arms. Christopher Wright, in his beautiful little book, The Mission of God's People, says it this way. It takes disciples to make disciples. And Jesus had spent three years teaching his disciples what it meant to be one. It involved practical and down-to-earth lessons on life, attitudes, behavior, trust, forgiveness, love, generosity, obedience to Jesus, and countercultural actions towards others. In short, you had to live under the reign of God if you wanted to preach about the reign of God. You have to live under the reign of God if you want to preach about the reign of God. And so this is why Jesus tells his disciples in verse 19 to go therefore and make disciples of all nations. In the Greek, as many of you know, the word go, it's not the command, it's not an imperative. The imperative is make disciples. This is a participle. It's Jesus is saying, as you go about your lives, as you live your lives where God places you, as you go where he sends you, bear witness to his kingdom. Live by his values. Love what he loves. And this is what his promised presence in verse 20 does. He says, I am with you always to the end of the age. And what he's saying is, I'm with you. I will bear you up. I will protect you. I will transform you. I will provide for you. I will lead you. I will work in and through you. I will transform you because I am with you. Therefore, bear witness to me in my authority over all things. Again, the promise of the text is that Jesus has all authority. Say it with me. Jesus has all authority. And I think that this is interesting. I think it's interesting for us to sort of think about this passage while uh, we're in this season of limited interactions. Because how is it that we go? Like, where do we go? Upstairs? Downstairs? Are we, are, go for another walk around the neighborhood? During this season of limited interaction, I really do believe that one of the benefits is that God is inviting us to see his presence among us right now, right where we are. And it is an invitation for us to see his kingdom growing among us. Because it is so easy for us to think about the kingdom of God in these abstract, distant ways 
It's easy for us to think about the kingdom of God as somewhere else. And that if we want to participate in God's kingdom, we have to get out of our own neighborhood. But maybe one of the things that God wants to teach us is that God wants to come to your neighborhood with you. Maybe God is coming to your neighborhood. Maybe he's coming to your house with you. And maybe he's asking you to begin seeing and caring about those people that you're passing on your walks. Maybe he's asking you to care about those that you know that are losing their jobs. Maybe he's asking you to begin seeing the kingdom, not in vague, nebulous ways, but to see it in the brokenness of your own home, to see it in the loneliness in your neighbors, to see it in the essential nature of your jobs. And maybe he's inviting you to think about the stressors of our society and ask, why is it that Uh, minorities are suffering from the virus at a much greater rate than those of majority culture? What is it about our culture that is causing all of these other chronic illnesses and hypertensions among the poor in our city? And maybe rather than running away from poverty and running away from the broken, he might invite us to bring resurrection life into the neighborhood. Maybe he's asking you to think about how new life could be brought to bear in those normal spheres in which you go. Because if Jesus has authority over all things, that means all things. He has authority over art. He has authority over economics. He has authority over healthcare over the judicial system, over education and technology and politics and law enforcement. He has all authority. And in that authority, he's asking all these things to be bent back to himself. Say it with me. Jesus has all authority. Jesus has all authority. And this means uh, that as God's disciples, we now go into all the spheres in which he leads us bearing witness to Christ's reign as we work against the horrors of the fall. And therefore, the common confession and the life by which we live is found in this little phrase, Jesus has all authority. Say that with me one last time. Jesus has all authority. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your great rule and reign over all things We pray that we would enjoy it. We pray that we would embrace it. And we pray that we would bear witness to it. We ask this for your glory and for the good of your world. In Jesus' name, amen.